This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, so there's a lot going on this week. We have a break-in of a federal firearms licensed dealer in Travis County. Uh, we're going to find out some more details about that later in the week. Stuff is coming in about that right now, so we're trying to get the details just so you know. And then also, man, what's going on with the uh, Border Patrol? Apparently, the uh, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol officer, he had uh, a bunch of machine guns. Wow. In his home. At home. Machine guns. Uh-huh. No tax stamp. None, no. In California. Uh, yes, I believe California. so. California. Uh-huh. He had 250 <laughs> weapons, including 41 machine guns and wow. two short barrel rifles. That's and none of them were registered with the ATF. Must be nice. Were these fully automatic? Yeah, 41 of them guns. were. 41 okay. out of the 250. Wow. And what 250? You, and see, that I'm curious about that because the way it all works is machine guns are heavily regulated. They're actually registered. So those are the ones that the ATF knows where every machine gun is in the country. So how would he have been able to get his hands on these? That's my question. So uh, <laughs> this guy used his status as an officer to buy what are known as off-roster weapons. Uh, those are guns mm. that cannot be sold to the general public. Uh-huh. And he then sold or transferred the guns using online sites. Nice. And wow. this guy was Border Patrol? And three of the guns he sold out of the trunk of his car. Nice. That's straight gangster. Being that he's Border <laughs> Patrol, do you think that he might have been working with the cartel? I don't know. I can't speculate. Maybe. But that's that's bad. At, at, on face, all this is bad. Yeah. This is mm-hmm. just all bad. You know, you're talking about you know something that's heavily regulated, uh, machine guns, suppressors, short barrel rifles. Those are all registered. You have to get a tax stamp in order to be in possession of those. And so he went, you know, a roundabout way to get his his hands on some and and sell them to the general public. That is crazy. What is, what goes through a person's head when you do something like that? You gotta be pretty stupid, I think. Yeah, because if that it's using a crime, if someone steals it, it's all it's going to come back to you. How much time is he looking at? Probably, uh, probably maximum each. sentence of 25 years in prison. Wow. That's crazy. All right. And, and so, uh, man, and we're going to talk about the ATF clarification for SBRs. We want to talk about that this show. We're also going to talk about some more stuff with the Texas gun laws with Edwin Walker, the principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Show. Before we get to that, man, 
Gary, you had an opportunity to go out to city of Austin to, you know, to get it, I guess, to get the perspective of what's happening with the homeless from the homeless. Yeah. So I went out with a microphone and a camera and a small crew. And we interviewed about a half dozen homeless people in Austin. We started out over on Ben White and Congress. Ben White and Congress. Yeah. And I know it's not a huge sample size, but we did. We, we asked to st- talk to a lot more people than what we actually did. And a lot of them did not want to be recorded. Right. And they, they didn't even really want to talk to us at all. I thought, I thought the one guy that covered his face, I'm pretty sure there's a warrant involved in that. Well, the fact I, that I was you thinking about that face, too. You know, and that guy actually had some of the best information out of anybody we talked to. Oh, he had a lot to say. But he didn't he didn't want to be recorded. Right. So it's unfortunate that we couldn't get his perspective, but I I was actually pretty surprised by what we heard from some of these people. It seems to me that who we spoke with was saying they were saying that, the, that there's a big drug problem. Everybody mo- not everybody, but we heard 80%, 90% of the people that are homeless are addicted to some kind of drug, whether it be alcohol alone or, or a combination of multiple drugs. But there's a drug problem, and there's also a lot of mental illness. And when I was asking these different homeless people if the camping ordinance was helping them find a job or f- find a home, they obviously said no. But they also, uh, they also are, are pro-camping ordinance. So they're not necessarily... They're not necessarily being helped by the camping ordinance, but they're for it. Does that make sense? They're for the repeal of the camping ordinance, no, which they, they, they just did, or they would rather that they they like camping on the sidewalk. Yeah. From, from what from who we spoke with, at least, but a lot of them also agreed that it's not helping the situation. You know, it's perpetuating the kind problem. of enabling. Right? Yeah, that's exact. And actually, one guy actually said that. Um, and then uh, the gentleman we talked to that had the bandana over his face and a hat on, he, he was saying that the majority of the homeless people, this is, these are his words verbatim, are not homeless. They're lazy and don't want to work. Mm. That's what he was saying. Right. But he, he also mentioned that he thinks there should be support services for women and children, mm. but not necessarily for men. The men is who he kind of was looking down on. I tell you what, let's 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 listen to a clip uh, of uh, from that that interview you did. Yeah, yeah, and this this was a, this was not the same guy that I'm talking about right now. This is another gentleman. This was actually the first guy we spoke with yesterday. All right, so this is Austin, Texas, over by Ben White Boulevard. Uh, are there new homeless coming in and taking over the old territory? Yeah, there is. How really? Yeah, yes, sir. Can you elaborate on that? Uh, well, a lot of new faces. I mean, a lot of new faces. Is there is there been like uh, turf wars? They're starting to be a little bit, yeah. Like violent? A little bit, yeah. As you can see. This this is from this is from uh, yeah. a turf war. Yeah. Why? Yeah, I came up into my camp. What happened? I just walked right up into my camp. All right. You had you to fit your camp. They came into your camp and you had to you had to fight them off. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's it's, it's my, it's my space. Right. Right. It, is this your spot over here? No. no Where's no. your spot? No. I just go down the other end of town here. Down the hill. All right. So what he was showing us were were bruises on his ankles. He had a big gash in his leg, actually. Like oh. a chunk of his leg had been taken out. Wow. Okay. And and that's and that's from yesterday from the interview going downtown. Well, we went downtown Austin. We went uh, Ben White, and and like you said, right around Ben White and and Congress. Some of them really didn't want to talk. They got really defeated. Yeah, and they were in. They were between the barriers on. 
the roundabout, you know, the, the turnaround road there on the frontage road and the actual bridge. So they had like an, an entire section of themselves and they didn't want to talk to us. They said that they had, they had privacy rights, you know, but they're on public property. So I can understand that they're defensive because they're out there and there's, they were telling us that there's a lot of theft in the homeless community and a lot of sexual assault. In fact, the one guy that I keep referencing with the bandana, he said that since this uh, camping ordinance has passed, there had been an increased number of sexual assaults. So there was already a homeless problem in Austin. And now we have turf wars that are starting to, to happen with the new homeless coming in and trying to take over the old homeless territory. Wow. And then there's also an increased number of aggravated violence. Wow. So we've and so to solve the problem, we've actually created several problems. It's incendiary and it is a, it has become a more it has become a more multifaceted problem by allowing the the camping ordinance to pass. All right, so we're talking about ATF clarification for the SBR. We're going to talk about that, talking about Texas gun laws. We're also still talking about the homeless problem we have here in Austin, Texas. This is Michael Cargill and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Folks, this is Doug Man Jones. And I get my gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk It. Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're talking about... uh, ATF clarification for SBRs. Got to talk about that because you know what? We continue to poke the bear. You know, we're just not satisfied. We got to send the ATF a letter and just ask them questions to clarify their rules and, and all that good kind of stuff. And then you're shocked by the response that you get from the ATF. Going to talk about that. Also, the Texas gun laws, some more changes that are going to go into effect starting September the 1st. But before we get to those two topics, I do want to finish off talking about this homeless situation, this crisis uh, that we're facing here in Texas, in Austin, Texas. And so, you know, Gary, man, you interviewed a, a, a guy that was downtown. And then but before before that, you interviewed this young lady uh, who had an interesting story. Yes. Yeah, so. This is a little backstory on her. She didn't want to be on film. She didn't want to be recorded. She she didn't even really want to talk to us at all. She was really defensive. And the reasoning was because she's going through a custody battle with her child. And she just actually was, she's only been homeless for a couple months. And the reasoning behind that was that she was in an abusive relationship with her partner. Mm. And she showed me pictures on her phone that she had two black eyes. Right. I mean, they were raccoon eyes, man. Right. They, were, they were fat black it, eyes. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah, it was really bad. And that's why I, I do sympathize. And I understand that there and are... She almost came to tears. You know, She did. Right. She did start crying. And I, I do sympathize. But my problem with the camping ordinance is this lady's not being helped by that mm. at all. And they're pretty much staying in that area around their little camp area because they really have to defend that area from other homeless. It becomes tribal. And that's what that first gentleman I talked to, what he was saying about these turf wars is there's, they, they're stealing stuff from each, not They're not just stealing bikes from UT students right. or something out of your car when you leave it unlocked. They're also stealing from each other. Now, what about the, uh, the guy that you interviewed uh, on 4th Street? So there was a gentleman down there on 4th Street that I talked to as well. And this guy was interesting because he was very open and willing to talk about, talk about everything 
in his life. He'd been homeless since he was 18. He looked like he was in his 40s. So I mean, he told a lot. He told his, 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 his uh, drug, drug of, choice. of choice. Yeah. Well, that's what I, I remember talking about that. And it was interesting because when I asked him if there was a system that could be put in place to help him get a job, he said he'd do any job. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you think you could hold down a job if you got one? And he said he could. But then I asked him if he would keep doing drugs. He said, yeah. And he said, yeah, yeah. unrepentantly. And the drug, that, what was his drugs of choice? Crack and Kush. Yeah, he, and he, he, he said. said that really quick. And he was confident about it. Crack cocaine. He said, and, crack and Kush. And, I'm, and my, my question was, what is Kush? Well, from where, I'm, where I come from, Kush is marijuana. Okay. But according to him, it's K2. He can't smoke weed because it would collapse his lung or something. So K2 changes it a little bit. That's a little it's more synthetic. than just marijuana. I, it, th- well, that's also what these people were overdosing on. Right. That's some nasty stuff. So now we're talking, yeah. you're not talking about marijuana. You're talking about something else. Something now. else. So, right. so and, but you know, he also did bring up an interesting point. Well, at least, I mean, I brought it up, but he agreed with what you and I were saying. Yeah. I asked him if he thinks that people who do not smoke K2. Mm-hmm if they should be responsible to pay for the ambulance to pick someone up from the arch that does smoke K2 and has an overdose. What did he say? He said no. He doesn't think that person should be re- responsible for that. Mm. So more or less, he's saying that the taxpayers who pay for the ambulance shouldn't have to pay for the ambulance ride for uh, someone that does overdose from that drug. Wow, interesting. Yeah. And so his thoughts on the homeless and in, in Austin, the ordinance was what? What well, do you think about was, the ordinance? From what I understood, he was hard to, it was hard to understand what he was saying. Right. He was missing a bunch of teeth, and he was a little wiry. But from what I understood, he is pro-ordinance, pro-camping law, but he also understands that it's not necessarily going to help him. And I think part of the reason is because a lot of these people don't think they can really be helped, possibly. Right. right. And, I, and I also think that a lot of the, the homeless folks that can be helped— right. It's it's a small, very small portion. I tell you what, from all this is coming a huge movement. There's a movement that's starting in South Austin and it's going all the way to the University of Texas where you have different organizations at UT. And this is a summertime, mind you. UT's on summer break. Yeah. And so you have groups that are talking right now that are meeting right now this weekend. They're meeting on Monday to talk about a recall election because they're really upset about how the home situation is being handled in Austin. And you know what? I think it all started with the arch. The uh, every single homeless person Because they person, can't handle the every arch. Every single homeless person I spoke with yesterday said the arch was a complete and utter failure. Every single one of them. Not a single one was so, said a good thing about so it. So how can we build another facility in South Austin if we can't clean up the arch first? Well, that's I think that that's the the whole Heart of the entire problem is that the homeless folks need help, and the only way that people want to help them is through government programs, but these government programs continuously are failures. Mm. So what are you supposed to do? You're between a rock and a hard place. You let, them, you let them tough it out and burn out, or you create another program, or you go a different direction, community-based help. Yeah, and, and the reason in, in, is it's, it's hard for our elected officials to understand here on the city level the reason why we don't trust what they're doing is because they have not cleaned up the arch. Yeah, they don't have a good track record. Well, no. the arch in, in the first place was a horrible idea. They built this thing next to the largest alcohol attraction in the entire city, 6th Street. <laughs> what were they thinking? Right. And then they spend millions of dollars to make it look fancy and well, nice and I, architectural. Oh, it's so great. But then there's only a, how many beds? 100 beds or something? I think the master plan is really to get them out of downtown 
to move them into facilities in, in every other district except for downtown. So, get, they're right. gonna, I, I think they want to get rid of the arch so they can, you know, their high rises in and, and they can build those communities. Because what you're seeing. Adler does live downtown oh yeah, in a high rise. He lives in a W mm-hmm. on the top floor. And so what's happening is this happened last week. Last week, you had a high rise in downtown Austin and you're not, you didn't see this. You didn't see it on the news. No one talked about it, but I'm telling you. Last week it happened where a high rise downtown, they went on the top floor of the high rise. The entire floor, every unit, every condo was broken into and he stole guns and thousands of dollars worth of stuff (laughs) were stolen from every unit on that floor. And then they went down the back stairs and got out and no one saw anything, wasn't caught on camera. Security guard didn't see anything or anything. So they basically did what I was joking about last week on the show. Mm-hmm. That is correct. <laughs> so uh, someone was listening to you. Yeah, because it, it actually happened downtown. And it's happening more and more often. And and I think they want to clean it up. They want to get rid of the homeless, into the, put them into the suburbs and get them out of downtown. And, you know, well, that people way, definitely aren't going to be happy if you put a homeless shelter in a residential area. Yeah. And that's what's and next to the elementary schools. That's what, what? they want to do. Oh, yeah. There are three schools that this this one shelter they're talking about uh, building right now. There are three schools close to this shelter. That's a worse idea than putting it next to 6th Street. Absolutely. All right. So um, I want to change gears a little bit because I got to go to Edwin Walker because I want to talk about this. Uh, you know, the ATF clarification, because you know what? What's what's strange to me is that we're constantly poking the bear, constantly. It's, we're, people just not satisfied at all. You know, they want to get clarification from the ATF. Hey, ATF, you know, I want to do this and I want to do this. You know, can I do it? And, and, and then, then we're shocked and surprised by the response that we're getting. So let me bring Edwin Walker, the principal attorney for Texas and U.S. Law Shield, and ask him, you know, what is going on with this ATF clarification for SBRs? Hey, Mike, how are you doing? Outstanding, sir. Yeah, um, yeah, the ATF, the, I tell you what, the, the whole uh, people asking the ATF about these stabilizing braces, and it's been going on, what, now, about five years or so or longer, with people just incessantly approaching the ATF to basically manufacture these issues with regard to the stabilizing brace, in which there's an old adage. This brings to mind an old adage that I learned a long time ago. Um, that whenever it comes to the government, never give a bureaucrat the chance to say no, because that's the way they're that's the way they're trained. They're trained to say no to any kind of ambiguity, any kind of extrapolation. They're trained to say no, and so that's what this whole business with the ATF is. And it's also about people wanting to I, I don't know like escape the rules. I guess now keep in mind this discussion of what the ATF has done is completely different than you know, a philosophical discussion about whether or not short-barreled rifles should be regulated anyway. Uh, so setting aside the political philosophical arguments about, you know, well, there shouldn't even be a regulation on short-barreled rifles. Well, okay, but, but that's not what we're talking about. Right. We're talking about, um, as a practical matter, as a legal matter, what is the ATF talking about, and why are they talking about it? Well, the reason they're talking about it is because after the issue with regard to the stabilizing brace got settled about, um, you know, is a stabilizing brace the same as a stock? Well, the ATF said, no, it's not. It's a stabilizing brace, but you have to use it as a stabilizing brace. You know, a stabilizing brace, just like anything else, 
If you modify it to use it as a stock, well, now maybe you've manufactured a short barrel, an AOW or a short barrel uh, rifle. So don't do that. You can have a stabilizing brace. It's perfectly legal. Use it as it's intended. Don't add anything to it. Don't modify it. Don't tape the ends shut. Don't put a pad on it. Don't do any of these things that could possibly, you know, make you utilize it as a, as a shoulder stock. So people were like, you know, people said, okay, so we won't use it as, you know, we won't do anything to it, but secretly, you know, they were using it as a shoulder stock. And so, of course, in order to assist them in using it as a shoulder stock, they, some people started to affix vertical foregrips. And it's the vertical foregrip that has been the impetus of this latest letter from the ATF. So people wrote in and said, hey, I'm going to put a vertical foregrip on my, on my AR pistol. And the ATF was like, no, 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 don't do that. That turns it into an AOW because it's not it's designed to be fired with one hand. And so there's a couple of competing issues. Um, there's the concealability issue, uh, and then there's the handgun issue. And so what they were saying is, is they were like, oh, well, with my arm brace, it doesn't fit the concealability definition of being under 26 inches. Therefore, I can go ahead and stick a vertical foregrip on it. The ATF's like, no, but it's still a handgun. It, it was born as a handgun. So it's designed to be fired with one hand. You stick a vertical foregrip on it, then you, you know, you, you've, you've altered its meaning of being able to be fired with one hand. Now you've created an AOW. And they're like, no, I got a stabilizing brace on here, which acts, which, you know, I use as a stock. And they're like, no, we've already told you, you can't use a stabilizing brace as a stock. If you're, you know, if you're using a stock, that's already wrong. Uh, for grip, uh, Stabilizing braces are not designed to stocks, therefore you cannot treat them as stocks. You cannot put it on there and say, well, it's an arm brace, but I get to measure it like it's a stock. All right, hold that thought there, Edwin. We're going to go to a break real quick uh, because when we come back, you know, you're saying, hey, I can have the arm brace, but if I put something on that, you know, grip there, I I use two hands to fire it, that's going to change it. We're going to talk about that and also some other things. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Maj Toure. You're listening to Come and Talk at Radio with Michael Cargill. Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk at, and now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're talking about the clarification for SBRs from the ATF. And also some Texas gun laws uh, that are going to go into effect starting September the 1st. But you know what? We got a statement and a question or something from Morgan Hutto out of Denton, Texas. Morgan says, I'm so interested in this conversation because I just moved to Denton, which I would uh, day is a something, a studio Austin. She's what she's saying. Uh, we have the same situation here. Dallas sent all the homeless to Denton. I don't have a problem with them personally. I just keep trying to think of a solution. Uh, so and she says they have a shelter up the road. Uh, so and and that's a common problem. You have cities around the country that are sending their homeless to certain cities in the U.S. You know, around you know other places in the U.S. or other states. I actually talked to a girl that works at the transit the transit center the other day, and she said they're busing homeless people into Austin from around Texas. Mm. I had heard that before, <laughs> and I always thought it was. <laughs> 
you know. Yeah, we got to learn. Yeah, I've heard that some cities are giving homeless a one-way ticket to Austin. <laughs> a one-way. A one-way. Yeah. So yep. you know what? The next place we need to go to is the bus station, Greyhound. Yes. Which is on 290. And sit there and just watch people coming off the bus and say, hey, yeah. how did you doing? How did you get here? And, and get and interview some people. Eventually, I, we should do the bus because station. Because everyone, everyone's going to say, oh, that's not true. That's not happening. But yeah, let's go down to the bus station. Yeah. No, and I, I, I have not clarified that. So let me let me verify it first. Before I say that it's a fact, but I'm I, all I'm saying is that I heard that from somebody the other day. Yeah, Hunter, um, Hunter Temple out of, of L.A. says, "Hey, if y'all saw the homeless problem in Austin, y'all better be in Los Angeles next." <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I don't know how I think L.A.'s gone. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's go back to Edwin Walker with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. And Edwin, you were we're talking about the clarification for the ATF. Uh, we're talking about poking the bear because what happened is we received. There was a new letter that was sent out. Is that is that correct, Edwin? Yeah, there was a letter that was that was distributed um, to an individual on June 25th, 2019, and that individual then published it on the internet. Um, and so that that individual poked the bear. Correct. <laughs> and you know, good thing is his name is all blacked out because he actually did poke the bear. Yes. Uh, so what the so in basically in a nutshell, what the letter did was it said, "Look, you can't have it both ways," uh, because basically what people were doing is they were putting an arm brace on and they were saying, "Because you know they they put the arm brace on and they go, aha, my arm brace makes it over twenty six inches, so it's not concealable." Now keep in mind, it still had a short barrel, so it had a barrel of you know what what is you know commonly an AR pistol, fourteen inches, twelve inches, something like that. So they said, "Well, I got a stabilizing brace, so therefore it's not it's it's not concealable. Therefore, I can stick a foregrip on it." Um, and the ATF said, "Look, you can't put a put a stabilizing brace claim it's unconcealable because it's more than twenty six inches." But then yet say, oh, it can't be regulated with a fort with a stabilizing brace because it's a handgun. I didn't make an SBR, mm. and so that's what they were trying to do. Is they were trying to say with a fort with a fort with a forearm brace, it's not a short barrel rifle because it's not a stock. But then also it makes it over twenty six inches, which means it's not an AOW, which means I can attach a vertical foregrip. And the ATF said, no, 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 you can't have it both ways. Arm brace is an accessory. Accessories aren't included for purposes of measuring the overall length to determine concealability. Therefore, if you if you were caught with such an item with a with a an AR handgun that has a stabilizing brace, but it also had a foregrip, then what you've done is you've still made an AOW because you've attached a foregrip to a, a handgun. Now, Edwin, are you allowed to put an angled foregrip on an AR pistol? Yeah, that's what's interesting is that, you know, a long time ago, the ATF ruled that you could use an angled foregrip, that that was not a vertical foregrip, therefore an angled foregrip is okay. And functionality, I think an angled foregrip may actually you know, function as well or in some cases better than a vertical foregrip. And the ATF has already cl cleared those angled foregrips. So I don't understand these folks that want to, that are obsessed with attaching foregrips to handguns why don't we just go with an angled foregrip? And, you know, that we already know that that's legal. All right. And that's the ATF clarification for SBR, short barrel rifles. All right. So, Edwin, let me ask you about House Bill 302, uh, which prohibits no firearm clauses in future residential or, you know, I, I, I guess what they're saying here is, you know, what? Uh, they can't put the no firearms clauses in the contract when I'm renting or leasing yeah, this actually is a problem that's kind of been growing since the open carry law. 
is that, you know, as, as you know, and as we're all sort of aware of, uh, people freaked out whenever the open carry law was passed. And it caused a lot of, you know, previously, you know, businesses that were previously ambivalent to handguns to suddenly go, oh, my God, what am I going to do about these open carry? And a, a large number of apartment complexes who previously had had no firearms regulations whatsoever, except for, of course, discharging them, um, suddenly put up 30-06 signs and 30-07 signs on their gates. And they started inserting clauses into their into their rental agreements, saying that the you know a, a leasee could not have a firearm uh, in their apartment, and and so it actually caused a lot of problems. We used to get calls on that all the time about you know what what could they do? Their apartment complex just put up thirty out six, thirty out seven sign. They've lived there for a couple of years. What are they supposed to do? And so this legislation is aimed squarely at that, and it passed really quickly. Um, and I don't think it got much opposition. And basically, what it says is, is that is that look, you know, the, the the an apartment owner or condominium complex doesn't have unlimited rights to restrict uh, both licensed and unlicensed folks from carrying their handguns. Uh, so we're going to say that. Uh, for you know, where people are mostly concerned, which is obviously in their automobile, in their apartment or condo, and going to front their condo and to and from their car in their auto- automobile and their condo, uh, there cannot be uh, either 30-06 prohibitions, 30-07 prohibitions, or provisions in the lease agreements that would prevent these folks from lawfully owning and possessing and carrying firearms. All right, so what you're saying is, all right, so... They they cannot put it in the lease uh, that you can't go in, you can't go into your you can't have a firearm inside your apartment so they can't do that that's anymore. correct and also and what you're saying can't. is you know, so making it from their their vehicle because they were putting it in the common area where they so they can go from their vehicle to the condo and carry a firearm that is correct and so it is applicable for that limited purpose. Uh, if your condominium or your apartment complex, they can still post up 30-06, 30-07 signs. They can still put it in the lease that you can't possess a firearm at places outside there. So, uh, you know, if your apartment complex has got a 30-06, 30-07 sign, that doesn't mean – I mean, that this law does not allow you to go hang out by the pool with your handgun. That so they still can, could be so they, can, so they can still post 30-06, signs uh, in, like, you know, the pool, the gym – uh, the laundry room and places like that in their right. in the, the office. office, the mailbox. That's correct. Okay, but okay. So, so and this, it's, it does it, it's a common problem over by University of Texas at UT uh, in West Campus because it was actually in the, it's in the lease of a lot of the apartments there, and I, I got a lot of phone calls about this because students were like, "Hey, you know, they will not let us have firearms in our apartments uh, that we're leasing." You know, what am I supposed mm-hmm. to do? And I can carry, you know, to campus, but I can't have it inside the apartment. It's in the contract. And so this is going to solve that problem. Yes, this will fix that problem. And, you know, hopefully it will, uh, uh, you know, it will eliminate uh, this issue. Because, like I said, we used to get questions about it all the time. Okay. And then let me ask. So, okay, go ahead. Well, I was just going to add that, that um, I believe that provisions that currently exist in leases are still uh they're still going to be effective and enforceable Ooh, and that's so a, that's a good point there so you're saying if it's in your lease right now once september the first rolls around that lease is still 
in, enforceable. So they can still prohibit you from having it inside the lease. But if, once you sign a new lease, then what happens? Can they put it in a new well, lease? Don't it actually applies to renewals as well? Oh, great! So what what the law specifically says is sections ninety two point zero two six and ninety four point two point seven. Those are the rental provisions. So those are the property code provisions. Those are the contractual ones. Now, also keep in mind you can't go to jail for breaking a contract. You right. just get sued for breaking the contract. You get evicted. As added by this act, do not affect the enforceability of a provision in a lease agreement entered into or renewed before the effective date of this act. Uh, so what you would have to do is if you are under, a, you know, if you're under a lease term and it comes September 1st, your lease still applies. Unfortunately, what it also means is you can't just automatically renew that lease and this, the law applies. Your old lease provisions will still apply. So be sure if you are concerned about this, that whenever you do want to quote unquote renew, that you have them strike the previous contract and demand that you enter into a brand new lease agreement and you don't just simply renew or automatically renew your old lease. But they would have to agree to that. So what if they, the, the property owner doesn't want to agree to that? Yeah, unfortunately, how, how, how well do you, how, you know, how much do you enjoy living at that apartment complex? Okay. You might have to find a new place to live. But if it's a brand new person, they're not renewing. They're brand new to the comp, the complex. After the September the 1st, they move in it cannot be in the lease. That is correct. It can be in the lease. So, you know, if you, if you, if you, let's say a person wants that provision struck out of their lease, the, the uh, property owner says, nope, you can only renew under the old terms. The law allows us to do that. And if you don't like it, you can get out. Uh, then they would have to make a decision because if they get out, then you're right. They can't. So there's, a, there's um, your you loophole. Know, wherever, wherever they go, wherever they go to that's new, uh, that lease will not have that provision in it. Okay, so there's your little loophole right there. So if you renew it, so the kicker to it is if you move and you move into a new place starting September the 1st, after September the 1st, then cannot be in the lease. Right, not there, but if you're new and it's already there, then it still stays there. there. Okay. Now, what about House Bill 1078, Edwin? Uh, that one is the CPR discount. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, that kind of snuck up on everybody because whatever you do, you know, obviously you're extremely familiar with the legislative process. Most people aren't, but there are thousands and thousands of bills filed every year. And so, you know, whenever you don't get to read, you know, whenever you're doing research, it'd be really difficult to read every single one. And you know what, Edwin? Uh, so, Hold on there. We're going to take a quick break. And we come back, I'm going to let you finish that, talking about House Bill 1078, the CPR bill, giving that discount to those people with CPR that have CPR certification. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Coley on Noir, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Talk 13.7, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It, and now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we just talked about the ATF clarification for SBRs with Edwin there, and now we're getting our refresher here on some of the Texas gun laws that are going to go into effect starting September the 1st. And Edwin was telling us about the, uh, well, House Bill 1078, 1078, uh, the CPR bill. 
Good evening. Yeah, and that's what, you know, it sort of snuck up on everybody because if you just searched, you know, did your traditional search for laws that affect handgun licenses or firearms or what have you, it probably wasn't going to pull up this bill because it really didn't contain that language in it. Uh, but it's a new provision that's been added to the uh, government code, the code, the portion of the government code <clears throat> that creates the license to carry. Uh, so they added Section 411.1954, which says that, um, you know, in, in which t- there's been a course of, of p- a pattern over the course of the last legislative, several legislative sessions where they've been uh, looking to reduce or eliminate fees for big groups of people. And the big group of people that got a fee, uh, got a fee waived this time were people who uh, had their certification in cardiopulmonary resuscitation issued by the American Heart Association, the American Red Cross, or another nationally recognized association. Wow. So I got to just, so, just yeah. keep up my, so my CPR get, certification, and I can get uh, – it's zero. It, the fee is waived. That's correct. Uh, interesting kind of caveat to that is, is that if you're required to have a CPR registration for your job um, or to get some sort of occupational license, then you don't get the fee waiver. Ah, oh, womp womp. So it's designed, it's specifically designed out there to go encourage folks who would not otherwise get CPR, uh, CPR training to go ahead and get it. And this is a little bonus that the state will throw you. So if you're a nurse, doctor, physician or whatever, and you have to have CPR, you can't get the discount. Yeah, that's true. But also, uh, it also applies to driver's licenses as well. So there you go. Get your CPR training and get your certification, and you can have both your driver's license fees and your LTC fees waived. <laughs> All right. All right. And then, Edwin, let's talk about Senate Bill 535. That is the one that removes churches, uh, which – and I'm confused, Edwin, because I thought churches I, – I thought, you know, we can already carry in a church with a license to carry handgun. Yeah, you, you're, you're absolutely right, which this law – keep in mind – um, just to do a little bit of history of, about, you know, I don't know how much time we have, but just do a little bit of history uh, about these prohibited places that are prohibited for license holders carrying handguns are listed in 46035 of the Penal Code, is that whenever that law was first created, way back in 1995, uh, they created a bunch of areas that are actually private property. You know, they're not government-owned areas, they're private property. So that would include hospitals and homes, amusement parks, churches, uh, so these were these were areas of private property, and they were off, off the list. Well, the next session in '97, when they came back and they were like, "Hey, private property owners ought to be given the ability to determine for themselves why they, um, you know, whether or not they allow license holders to carry handguns uh, at that time, concealed handguns, uh, instead of doing the logical thing and just pulling those private property, because that's when they created 30 out six trespassing statute." So instead of just pulling those out of the statute and leaving them to the general prohibition or the general allowance that's in uh, Texas Penal Code 30.06, they left them in there, and they simply added subsection I, which said, oh, yeah, by the way, for those sections, those subsections that are private property, um, the the, the prohibition here doesn't apply unless they do provide notice on 30.06. Well, that's a, you know, I guess it's okay. It's kind of a, I know they didn't want the headlines about legislature allows guns in hospitals, allows <laughs> guns in churches. That's what they're trying to avoid. Right. Well, that actually became problematic, 
you know, 20 years later, whenever they decided to revise the 30-06 law and decrease the penalties, mm. because the penalty for going past the 30-06 sign got lowered to a Class C. However, the penalty for violating 46035 was still a Class A. And so it created this, this kind of unusual area where if you go into a grocery store past the 30-06 sign, your penalty was a Class C. But if you go into an amusement park, hospital, nursing home, church, uh, with, you go past the 30-06 sign, the penalty was still a Class A. And, so, and that still exists, but for some reason, they decided to pull the churches out. So they left hospitals, nursing homes, amusement parks. They pulled churches out. So now churches do, you know, for clarification purposes, all churches still, they, they go back to the area of just being private property. All right, so and let me, so all, all the rules that apply to, to restaurants, grocery stores, et cetera, apply to churches as well. All right, let me make sure I understand that, okay, because we're a little, just a tad bit confused. So okay. because the grocery stores sell alcohol. And yeah. I, I was under the impression that if it sold alcohol, it still would remain. If they posted the 0607 sign, it still would remain a Class A misdemeanor. No, no, no. no? Uh, but license holders, grocery stores sell packaged alcohol, okay. which means that they do not sell alcohol by the drink. So they're not prohibited places for license holders who bring in handguns. All right. So if I go to 7-Eleven, the gas station on the corner, and they sell alcohol at that gas station – they post a 07 sign, and I walked in there openly carrying. The punishment would be, is it a Class A or a Class C? It's Class C. Because? It's a Class C because it's still private property. Um, the, the, the carrying on places that sell alcohol, uh, that, that prohibition applies under 4602, mm-hmm. which only applies to handguns that are carried by folks who don't have licenses. Okay, so so which ones, once again, which ones are going to remain a Class A misdemeanor if the 06 or 07 signs posted? Uh, hospitals and nursing homes and amusement parks. So what's listed in 46.35? Yeah, and, okay. meeting, and meetings of, uh, meetings of governmental government entities. Okay, so government entities. And then everywhere else, it, the punishment is going to be dropped down to a Class C misdemeanor if the sign is posted. Well, for 30 out, 30 out, 6 and 30 out, 7 violations, correct. Okay. Now, what if, churches now. What if, they, what if they give you verbal notice and ask you to leave? Verbal notice is still a Class A for everywhere. So it's still going to be criminal trespass? Correct. Okay. All right. So, which is kind of interesting because that you know, feeds into another uh, bill that passed this past legislative session. Which is? Which is House Bill 121. Correct. So, and which House Bill 121, uh, I don't know that this was a huge problem. I didn't really, I, I don't have a lot of uh, anecdotal evidence that, that people were being charged uh, with violating 30-06, 30-07 for walking past the sign. Uh, but now, um, they've, the, the, the legislature, I guess, has added a bit of clarification to say that before anybody is charged with anything, before you're charged with a Class A, before you're charged with a Class C for walking past the sign, uh, that it is a defense that you were given verbal notice and you did, in fact, leave the property. Okay. So what it's saying is if you walk past the 30 out 6 sign and somebody goes – or 30 out 7 is probably more applicable. You walk past the 30 out 7 sign, somebody sees your gun, and they go, aha, 
we got a three out seven sign, and you're open carrying, and here's your ticket for class C misdemeanor. Um, your defense, you have a defense by saying, hey, before I can be given a ticket, you have to give me verbal notification. Uh, and then only if I don't depart can I be cited. But of course, at that point, if you are given verbal notification, then they'll, uh, they'll hook you up for a class A misdemeanor instead of a class C. Okay. So basically, what it did is it kind of eliminated the class C violation, you know, at all. Okay. Because now they'll, in theory, the class C violation no longer exists because in order to even be guilty of a class C violation, you have to have been given a verbal notice, which failure to comply with a verbal notice makes it a class A. Wow. That's some good stuff there. That is some good stuff. Yeah. So that's, that's sort of a that's sort of a backdoor way of getting rid of the p- criminal penalty for going past the sign, right. you know, pretty much period. And I tell you, every every session we get a little closer, you know, to I, this is great, actually. I, I think the next thing I, I want them to fix is going to be the activities for schools, school sponsored activities. They can fix yeah, that. that has been, yeah, re- that has been a that has been a real bugaboo of mine for for several years now is how uh, they allow schools to basically scare use scare tactics right. uh, and exploit this ambiguity about what, you know, what is or isn't a school-sponsored activity? Right. All right. And so um, the next time, I guess we're gonna. I want to get into forty-six zero three five in depth, then, and then also forty-six zero three, and go over that stuff again as it relates to all the new, you know, some of the new changes now with clubs and knuckles and all that stuff. I want to get into that next oh, yeah. time. Next time, not this time. Uh, so thank sure. you, Edwin. I really appreciate you coming on and guiding us through this process. Yeah, Mike. Anytime. Absolutely. All right, so that was Edwin Walker. He was the principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Shield, and he talked to us about quite a bit there. Uh, so it's important that you, you know, go back to class, take a refresher course with your license to carry handgun facility, and get some of the changes in the laws. All right, so there's a federal firearms license dealer break broken into. There was a break in uh, this week, so you'll see that on the news, I'm sure. And, because we're gonna we broke that story here. Also, the container container bar. Did you hear about that? There yeah, was a is, shooting this on the weird. the floor of the container bar. Very weird. And the media is not talking about this one because they're considering this a a suicide. And they're it, not trying to talk about the drug. They're the not talking about anymore. the drugs. Right. Yeah. It, it it really has something to do about drugs and the fact that this the, the authorities were closing in on this person. Well, from what I understand, there was. An FBI agent working the bar? Uh-huh. Or were they at the bar? Uh, according to my source, uh, there was an agent that actually was working at the bar. Yeah. And possibly more than one. And when this went, all went down, you know, badges came out and, man, people came from everywhere and, and kicked everyone out and shut it down. There's nothing in the news about that. Nothing yeah, at all. nothing at all. All right, so we're talking about that. Man, I tell you, we're going to have to do we're gonna have to do something special. Uh, so the FFL break-in, the container bar, uh, and also the homeless crisis. Some people are calling for a recall election. As always, more guns equals less crime. You go out there and you buy yourself a gun. You were listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. I'll take my life.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.